spine and sprocket. The book to read is not the one that thinks for you, but the one which makes you think. A classic is a book that is never finished saying what it has to say. No two persons ever read the same book. That is part of the beauty of all literature. You discover that your longings are universal longings, that you're not lonely and isolated from anyone. You belong. Monday, August 9th, 1999, New York City, stolen from the trusting Indians by the wily Dutch, taken from the law-abiding Dutch by the warlike British, then wrested in turn from the peaceful British by the revolutionary colonials. Its trees were burned decades ago, its hills leveled, and the fresh ponds drained and filled, while the crystal springs have been imprisoned at underground and spill their pure waters directly into the sewers. Reaching out urbanizing tentacles from its island home, the city has become a megalopolis with four of its five boroughs, blanketing half of one island over a hundred miles long, engulfing another island, and sprawling up the Hudson River onto the mainland of North America. The filth and original borough is Manhattan, a slab of primordial granite and metamorphic rock bounded on all sides by water, squatting like a steel and stone spider in the midst of its web of bridges, tunnels, tubes, cables, and ferries. Unable to expand outward, Manhattan has writhed upward, feeding on its own flesh as it tears down the old buildings to replace them with new, rising higher and still higher, yet never high enough, for there seems to be no limit to the people crowding here. They press in from the outside and raise their families, and their children and their children's childrens raise families, until this city is populated as no other city has ever been in the history of the world. On this hot day in August in the year 1999, there are, give or take a few thousand, 35 million people in the city of New York. And that was the opening of a book called Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison. That's right. And this is Spine and Sprocket. And I'm Dave. And I'm Jeff. We are your hosts. And we're here to be talking about tonight the movie and the book upon which it is based. Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Based on the, the book, as Dave said, Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison. <laughs> which was published in 1966, I think, something like that, 66 or 67. Could be. Yeah. And back in those days, apparently, the idea of there being 35 million people in New York City was hard to grasp. And current population of New York City is 8.6 million. Okay. And it, What about the suburbs? 2017. Oh, Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't have the suburbs on this yeah. thing. I look on this Google search. Chicago's 2.7 million. And if you include the suburbs, it's like 120 million. Is it local here around no. here? No. Oh. I don't know. It's not that many. <laughs> um, and people are leaving Illinois, you know, the high taxes. And everyone talks so how shameful it is. Everyone's leaving Illinois. I'm, and I'm like, good. 
Yeah, good. More for us. More for more, us. More Illinois I don't, gorgeousness for us. I don't need the traffic. I don't need you on the road. Please do move to another state. Move to Wyoming. There's room. Please go. Yes. Not, not that I don't like you, yeah. but you're crowding my roads, yes, man. Yes, really. You're getting Let's in my go. way. Golly. <laughs> so we're... <laughs> do I digress? <laughs> Just a little bit. So we read this book. We both read this book, Make Room, Make Room. I don't really love the title, but... Oh, I do like the title. Oh, did you? You don't. Yeah, I don't oh, like the title. okay. Make Room, Make Room. You know, they did not title the movie that no. uh, because they didn't want people to mistake it or confuse it with Make Room for Daddy, the oh. sitcom starring Danny Thomas, which was, I think, had ended in like 1961 or something like that, but... Well, that so makes they, sense. So... Southern Green is a much better title, I think, for a movie, don't you? And this this is one of those things, back in the day, back when Dave and I were little little-uns, it was common for Hollywood to make a movie based on a book and have the movie be nothing like the book at all. <laughs> Which is a little bit like this situation. Yeah, really is. Um, I mean, it, there are some similarities, but there are a lot of differences between the two. There are a lot. And so, of course, spoiler alert, and I'll save it for the ending. Um, yeah, in, in this book, it opens with Saul, who's in the film. Yes. Play, played by? The, the, the great, I have to say it every time, the great Edward G. Robinson. Are you, are you, do you have an impersonation of him? I was going to say. Where's your... Where's your Moses now? <laughs> Edward G. Robinson, who was, of course, in, played, uh, what was his character's name in The Ten Commandments? I don't know. And I was going to go, uh, yeah, Kappa. <laughs> but that's uh, that's Cagney. That's yeah, but I, do, I get those two confused sometimes, too. When I'm doing their voices, I'll get them confused. Um, yada, yada. Yeah, Kappa, we're going we're gonna to get out of here, see? Yeah, you you take your boys, and we're going to get out of here. And with the uh, line from uh, Ten Commandments, so I'm at uh, a hockey game. Marty took me. You know, I normally don't go to a lot of Blackhawks games. Uh, my friend Marty's a fan, so he took me. And um, we're at the game, and uh, some team had lost Gretzky to another team. Oh. And I guess that team— So this was a few years ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, oh, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. I think I was probably single then. Uh, and the team was maybe the Edmonton Oilers. Forgive me, hockey fans. Okay, and they let's say it's them. They they'd come into town and beat us because they had Gretzky. And then the Blackhawks were defeating this team, and somebody in the audience yells out, "Where's your Gretzky now? Where's your Gretzky now?" <laughs> and we all just all everyone burst out yeah. laughing. Everyone knew the reference. Edward G. Robinson, yeah. 10 commandments. Yeah. Where's your god now, Moses? Yeah. Which and that <clears throat> quote was made famous actually by Billy Crystal's imitation of of Edward G. Robinson playing that character which I think he did at one of the Academy Awards ceremonies. I think that's where that came from when he first started doing. He was doing he did some great imitations. He did Yule Brenner and Edward G. Robinson, or as I like to call him, Eddie Robinson. Yeah, because you guys are on a yeah. personal basis. Rob, my my wife, Robin, when I talk about, uh, let's see, which, oh, we, we watched uh, Christmas Carol over 
Yeah, there have been many versions, but I like the one with George C. Scott. Yeah, you do. I have not seen that yet. And I call him George Scott because <laughs> everybody knows who I'm talking about. If you're talking about an actor and you say George Scott, they're not going to go, which one? George C. Scott. So I call him George Scott, and she's like, what, are you guys friends? <laughs> no, I just call him. George C. Scott seems too, many too much. Syllables. Yeah, I'm saving time here. Too many notes. I'm a busy man. So Eddie Robinson, or Ed Robinson, as I'll sometimes call him. Yeah, great. Anyway, we digressed, did we not? We did. And, yeah. and at school, sometimes I'll say to kids, like, a uh, kid named, um, oh, just pick a name, like um, Gillette um, is one of my students. And, and I'll say, like, uh, Gillette, oh, can I, can I call you Joel? Can I call, call you Jay? <laughs> You know, do that yeah. routine. Yeah. I'm going to call you. No, you can't. Oh, okay. Sorry. Can I call you Jay for short? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jay. No, call me Gillette. Okay. <laughs> um, his his 101st film, his last film. Yes. Edward Robinson. Great yeah. acting. Great yeah, great acting. acting. I, I thought. Great acting. Boy, the guy can cry. I didn't know. Who thought the gangster can cry? Such a that off. memorable couple of scenes in there it's it's one of those a couple of those scenes that i just remember all the time i think i don't know if this is normal for pe- for people but throughout the day i bet there are songs that run through your head yeah and you Five, probably don't eight, even notice eight, it. two three yeah, hundred stuff like that <laughs> um with robbie and i you know I'll, I'll suddenly say what song are you thinking of and she'll be like <laughs> karma 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 chameleon <laughs> But a couple of these Edward G. Robinson scenes just st- stick in my head and run through there pretty often. Now, I won't talk about them those scenes right now, but yeah. Yeah, they're actor. coming up. So I, I thought in the film, uh, great opening, the 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 still shots. Yeah, oh, did you like that? I was going to ask you about Go, that I, opening. I do. You like that? I do. Did you not? Um, I don't think I did. Oh. You know, the music. There's always something wrong with yeah. that. <laughs> we get to be... We get to disagree, um, even though we sh- we share the same microphone. Oh, here, do you need a here? I do. Bottle opener for Dave. It's not the two half squads. Um, uh, yeah, I that opening, the, the opening montage, montage and music. You like that? That jazzy. Uh, yeah, kind of start a little swingy, yeah. like an old day song, and then right. sped up, and it sped up, and then it slowed down. Yeah, at the end. Bringing us into today, New York. And they always pick a year. They should never pick a year, right? Just, no, but they film should always just be called in the future. Yeah. But this one is still in the future because you remember the date they picked? Oh, no. I was thinking of the book. You said 1999. Yeah, in the book, it, they picked uh, Harry Harrison picked 1999, but in the film, 2022. Oh, so that, okay. that's coming up. And uh, Edward, uh, Eddie Robinson in the film, Made a couple of references. He he had obtained a couple of books that uh, Thorne, Charlton Heston, had brought him. And the books were dated 2018 and 2019. Mm-hmm. Which, guess what? That's this year. And uh, So you like the montage. I like yeah. the montage. Yeah, okay. And, you know, it just showed again the technology, the technology, the overcrowding, the pollution. And... Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah. movement of the United States from a... Agrarian. Agrarian. Thank you. I was going to say agronomy. I have the best words. Agrarian uh, economy to a industrial economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And there were no credits during that. It was just, it wasn't just like the opening of the film until they, until the word Soylent Green came on. It was like two or three minutes of just the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of Setting get, the stage. Yeah. And then it opened with uh, Th- Chuck. Chuck Heston. Or as I like to call him, for short, C. <laughs> Plain Thorn. C. Heston. And Saul. And Saul is short for some Italian name or something? Uh, well, he... He said a number of Yiddish things during the film, so oh. I'm guessing he played a Jewish guy, uh, probably Solomon. Oh. Solomon Roth. Oh, was yeah. thank name. you. Yeah. And uh, the book opens with the same thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, right. The ch- uh, Chuck's getting up. <laughs> oh, he's Andy in the book. Thorne is Andy. And he's waking up, and Saul goes on the bike and pumps it to get the electricity going. Yeah. They joke about him having a coronary and being his age and off Andy slash Thorne goes to work. You know, they do mention in the book that there's this farmers upset about the water shortage. They're like taking water from the agrarian farms that are trying to support the population out there for the cities. And they like dynamited the aqueduct or something here. Right. Which yes. was not in the movie. Right. Right. And you know, I I guess the the book and the movie had mostly the same themes, which were too many people, not enough resources to support us, and that's kind of been um, a popular theme, not just for movies, but you know, for scientists for a while. What's going to happen thirty years from now? Indeed, in fact, fifty years from now. The scene of him, they, the book says, Andy threaded his way through the last of them, the people all laying around the stairs. Yeah. And when he reached the sidewalk, he had to step over the outstretched leg of an old man who sprawled there. He looked dead, not asleep, but he might have been for all anyone cared. And there was a string tied around his ankle led to a naked baby that was sitting vacantly on the sidewalk chewing a bent plastic dish. That, that scene was in the movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, in a little different spot, but it was. Tied to his mother, yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, and I kind of I liked that that bit because it appeared a few times in the movie where where uh, somebody's going up or downstairs and there's always people sleeping on the stairway, <laughs> like thirty people sleeping on a stairway. Yeah, was that really comfortable? Which at first I was like, why aren't they all outside? Yeah, you I'd sleep on something flat. Why are they sleeping on the stairways of all places? You could sleep in the middle of the street probably because there's no cars, but. They had the uh, curfew in place, I think, every night, right? Oh, that's right. That's so they needed to be inside. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when they're watching TV, I noticed the guy on the ad said it's the Soylent Red, Soylent Yellow, and the new Soylent Green. Yeah. So this is a new product. Really makes it sound so good. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I kind of liked, honestly, I liked the little apartment. I love Saul's little corner of the apartment with all the books. Because mm-hmm. I, I just, I always think. It actually kind of looks like... Yeah, a little like here. I, I could live here. I, I, thought, I could. I could be Saul. I could live there. I'm not Jewish, but you, I could become Jewish. Get you a little bike to a little shlomizel, a shlomazel. And uh, the one thing that I notice what Saul says as he's pumping the bike is he he blames the scientists for wrecking the world uh, in the movie. Oh. I don't remember if he did that in the book, but no, I. I <clears throat> Maybe that was a popular thing to do for a while. Blame the scientists for everything. You know, they blame the scientists for the bomb. That is the atomic bomb. 
They blame scientists. What group does that? Blames the scientists. Is, um, that, the, is that conservatives? The anti anti well, anti scientists. Cur- currently, <laughs> you know, we don't want to get political, but no. currently there's a group of um, vaccine deniers. Yeah, and they of course are having a suffering through a measles outbreak. Yeah, which would be a logical consequence. And there's a strong anti climate change group. Yes. And today's news that there's another study that confirms it is man-made. So we'll see how long they can continue. Slowly, everyone's coming around, right? Remember, 20 years ago, they denied it. There was even change. Now, they're only denying that it's man-made. Right. So they've given up on the first one. Okay, we're going to have to admit, clearly, there's weird stuff going on. Yeah. So it's, you know, but it's a shame, isn't it? It takes so long for people to come around it is it is and it's because of movies like this <laughs> how so edward g robinson blames the scientists for wrecking the world and people <laughs> don't want to upset the old guy i thought it was a massive propaganda campaign yeah. being run on the american people to oh, keep certain too. interests in making money but uh, maybe i'm wrong maybe there is no climate change <laughs> yeah you're right but no i don't see it in the book uh, uh, he blames well, later on, there's a part I'll get to, and I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, there's this whole group called the Eldsters of America, which was not in the movie, right? No, yeah. They trimmed that yeah. out. And they're out there protesting, saying things like, you know, they, they the authorities have seen to it we can't work, no matter how fit we are. They fixed the tiny, miserable handout that we're supposed to live on, and so it's kind of like they're pushed out of labor, and like, you know, almost like Social Security or something, and their Social yeah. Security is like... Soylent Green. I don't know. Um, but in the movie, then, the uh, the Chuck Connors guy, does he meet with the murderer assassin? Gives him the weapon? No, Chuck Connors is the bodyguard. Well, yeah, at first, the first thing that happens is uh, Gilbert and Donovan meet. In a at, car. In a car. And, and they, they wear the coolest clothes from the 60s. Isn't it the, <laughs> like, 70s. leisure suits? Yeah, leisure suits. Yeah. Oh, man. Did you have a leisure suit? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did, too. I yeah. had two, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I thought the pretty embarrassing. clothing was not going to be... Well, maybe it was so offbeat that for another viewer who didn't live through it, would think it's futuristic. I suppose. You know, yeah, it's it, to ask. You're right. You know, it would be interesting if I... If I like stapled one of my girls to the to the couch and made her watch and, and said, what did you think of the outfit? She'd say, oh, yeah, they were very, very futuristic. futuristic. Um, yeah, yeah. He gives the guy the gun inside the car. And that idea comes from the book also. There's there's like automobiles. Some peak characters get into at some point yeah, they, to hide, uh, I think, Abandoned this guy. automobiles yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah that they, are used for shelter and stuff. Um, yeah, and then, the, then uh, the movie cuts to the penthouse. And Cheryl. And Cheryl, and we get to see this other view of the world, how the other half is living in luxury. There you go. And air conditioning. Air conditioning. Did you notice watching the movie how much people sweated? Yes, (laughs) I did. I did. I thought that was brilliant. Sweating was invented in this movie. Which made sense. You felt hot and sticky. You really did. You know, constantly hot and sticky. Yeah. And then Cheryl goes shopping to get the food. And her boss is assassinated, right? Yeah. 
That's right. She goes to the store, buys three or four, well, maybe five little vegetables, and it's 279D, which I can... Dinero. I get dollars. <laughs> it might be dinero. I didn't think of that. It could be in the future we're going to be just using Mexican money. If we don't get that wall built, we yeah. got it. we're going to be using Mexican money. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And the guy, her boss's name is Simonson, and there's the mystery is set up as to, he's being killed for a purpose, and he knows he has to be killed. I loved his resignation. Yeah, you know, right. And, and yes. Like, go ahead and kill me. I know I can't prevent this. Yes. And I kind of missed that uh, the first time through the movie, which, and I, I watched the movie, it was probably a year ago, um, and then I read the book, and then I watched the movie again just the other day, and I noticed more. Like that, like that part, his resignation, like he knows something, something's upsetting him and he's ready to die. Yes. So when this assassin comes for him, he's not surprised and he takes it rather well. And it was, it was like that in the book as well, right? No. Now it in was, the it book. It was different in the yeah, book. Because oh, yeah, you, that's right. You read it much longer ago. I just finished it. And for some reason, my memory is really sharp on it. Um... So in the book, they introduce this character, Billy Chung, and he goes to work delivering messages. And he has to deliver a message because he can get a little bit of money to run these errands. And he goes into the rich apartment and he's denigrated for being a poverty kid by the doorman or whatever. And he delivers the message and Cheryl, he thinks Cheryl like, may want to have sex with him. Oh. And so he returns at night. And he draws a heart on the window to mark the way in. And then at night, he creeps in. Oh, cause he, so he'll know which window he, to go he, in. So, yeah, kind of yeah. like, uh, yeah. And he, he thinks Cheryl wants to, like, maybe want to be with him ah. in her air-conditioned window. So he waits till the boss leaves, Simonson. But it ends up Simonson's home. Yes. Somehow. That's and right. And he... Charges at the boy, Billy Chung, and Billy Chung just in defense swings at him. There is no assassination. That's right. None. Now I'm remembering. So yeah. that's where you're saying how far the books can yeah. be from the films. Yeah. None. So he runs away, and he he runs back, and he lives in this these ships offshore, where people, I guess, maybe came in as immigrants and could never get off the boat. Yeah, and they're all tied together. Or yeah, they're all yeah. moored together. Um, Overpopulation. I guess you try and live anywhere you can. So, eh, kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, you yeah. know, in the Rev War, they used those ships as as uh, prisons. Oh, did they? Yeah, the British put American prisoners in these sweltering hulls off the shore. Oh, yeah, it was miserable, very poorly oh, treated. I like an air conditioned prison, personally. <laughs> I don't know if that's wrong, but and I, Chuck I comes in. That. I like his amazement at the sink and the soap and everything. You know, yeah, Chuck Heston, not Chuck Connors. Yeah, right, Charlton Heston. Charlton. Yes, I, I really liked that scene in the movie because he's, yeah, right. He did a good job with that. He did. He too. The smell, you could almost smell the soap. He was so yeah. amazed to see a bar of soap. Yeah. And have fragrance. running water and bourbon. He was so happy to find the bourbon. Yeah, and then... Um, Mr. Heston, as I refer to him. Yeah. Oh, so then Charlton Heston goes to the apartment. He's called because he's a police officer. Uh He goes to the murder scene and starts starts the investigation, which is 
kind of what the book is about. It's kind of a police procedural thing. It kind of revolves around that. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. a murder mystery. So yeah. we know the end. Yes. Or we know the murder. We don't we know, know the, the murder. End. We just we don't know why. Right. We yeah. don't know why and we're gonna find out uh, why. Yeah, and there was a uh I thought looking at some of the futurist stuff, he handed him paper to write up his report, Chuck Connors, the bodyguard. Yeah. Sends him out and he writes it on paper, the view of the future. <laughs> but uh, paper and a pencil. Yeah, just, yeah paper and a pencil. Like, we're so digital now. That yeah, I, you know. Right. And what did you think of Chuck? The Chuck Connors character. I, uh, his name was Tab. I don't like. I movie. didn't like him. Really? And did you did like? Did you Charl- like him? Did you like Charlton Heston? Yeah, even though he was jerky cop at times. Okay, so for the first half of the movie, I thought Charlton Heston was really jerky, uh-huh. and Chuck Connors was fine. And I wish they would kill Charlton Heston. <laughs> he was a jerk. He, he went, stole he, things? He stole things. He walked through the apartment like he was God's gift to yeah. humanity. Just picked up stuff, stuffed it in, you know, brazenly. Went through, picked up stuff. Yes. Was very um, condescending to the woman. Yes. There, Cheryl. And uh, really, through more than half the movie, I think he acted like that. True. Which was, I guess, realistic you know, because when, y- you got to get what you can get. When I was young, this, the whole film struck me as very mature. Mm, interesting. Almost like scary mature. Because, yeah, why are cops stealing things? Yeah. Kicks the bodyguard in the nuts later. Yeah. Um, can I say that on the air? Nuts? I think so. <laughs> you, unless you have a nut allergy. So, um, the Obviously, the sexual... It, it was very mature. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me at that age. Yes. Again, the idea of policemen stealing. Now, I started to watch the version with the director's commentary and Cheryl's commentary, oh, yeah. Lee Taylor Young. Yeah. And it was not worth the time. Oh, okay. I don't think. I'm glad but I skipped that. I, I got through a bit of it at the beginning. And he did point out that if I can find this. Um, Note I took on it. The director said, oh, like the, the director said that there are people above the law and that's the rich people and below the law uh, and all of them are are corrupt. Yeah. The rich and the cop. Yeah. Everyone's just out to get his get. And I think that's what struck me too as a, as a youth. Um, I had a, a, a what's up with that bit when the, earlier, they remember they went in the car to exchange the, the weapon, the crowbar? Yeah. And there was a, a chick and a baby, a lady and a baby in the back seat. Did you know? Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. What's, up, like, with what's up with that? <laughs> she's watching them give the weapon to the murderer. And she's just I, sitting there in the back seat. Yeah, yeah. She's in the back seat with a baby. So I guess that shows it's crowded, but I wouldn't be giving the murderer a weapon with a witness in the vaccine. Yeah. That's what seemed really like what's up with that. Um, and when Chuck came in and Heston. Heston, okay. <laughs> Thorne. And he sees the girl, he says, furniture. Furniture? And then she says, yes. And he goes, Simonson's? And she says, yes. Personal or building? Building. I was like, What? Yeah, what's going on? And then I got it later that yeah. she, her job is she's a piece of furniture. She comes with the building. 
and the next tenant may just take her as property yeah. with part of the rent, I guess. Yes. Which is a little deplorable by yeah, today's standards. It? I think when you rent a place, you should have your choice if you want male or female furniture. <laughs> yes. And another, what's up with that? Do you notice when he was, the murderer was sneaking, Gilbert, he's sneaking into the apartment yes. to do the killing Yeah, in the movie, and he's being really quiet and sneaky, and then he takes his crowbar, and he starts slamming it into the wall yes. to make right. a foothold. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I did not catch that. You're right. It's just, He's bam. sneaking around. Yeah. Boy, well, he just, was wailing you know, on the wall with that crowbar. If you're going to be making that big of a noise, yeah. just go ahead and walk. Yeah. And let your little footsteps be heard. I mean. <laughs> I don't know who that actor was, but he's like eye candy for the ladies in the audience. <laughs> I thought he did a pretty good job. He did, yeah. Um, Actually, he did. There was a good quote when before he died. He did say, uh, Simon, again, jumping back briefly. He said, the, Simonson, before he died, said, no, it's not right. It's necessary. Yes. Yeah. I wrote that down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and Gilbert says, necessary to who? Oh, he did. And he says, to oh, God. to God. Yeah. To God. And we find out later uh, what he's talking about there a little bit, that Simonson had gone to a priest to confess this thing that he knew. And, uh, which set up a, you know, you kind of have to be paying attention. It set up a little underlying tension there on that, that sub storyline about Simonson. True. But Thorne goes home to Saw and they have this great scene where they eat the food. Did you think so? I love that scene. I think they improvised it. Oh, is that right? I think. I remember when he was bringing the things out to show Saul and he brings out the beef. And this is one of those scenes that Mm -hmm. runs through my head. Every time I think about beef, I think of Edward G. Robinson seeing that beef and saying, and, and beef, and he started weeping. Uh-huh. And his acting, when he sees the beef, and yeah. he says, how did we come to this? How did we come to this? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great. And yeah, I think they improvised that, and and, and they put it in as the actors. Um, I have to double check that, but. Great, yeah. great, great sequence there. So in the, in the, in the book, uh, there's some of that going on. He brings stuff home. Yeah. Um and then he has to go find this Billy character. Uh they there's they think perhaps this heart he drew in the window was a symbol for a crime boss from another part of town. Right. <clears throat> and in the end that goes nowhere. Yes, right. I remember that. It was sort of a um I thought they were going to try to pursue that, but it it's, it was innocent enough. He just drove the, drove the drew the heart for his own so he could identify which room to break into yeah which I, uh, yeah it didn't just really dismissed go at the end of the book yeah um yeah and then uh charlton heston goes to the police station to check in with his boss and more good sweating Lots of sweating. <laughs> yeah, again, everyone has a Everybody sweat. begins sweating. Police off the scene. And, and his boss says, uh, you know, he's got a watch there and he's that's not working. And Charlton Heston said, well, maybe I can fix it. And he's, he proceeds to fix this watch or try to fix this watch with a letter opener, I think. Something. Yeah. Can you fix is a it, watch with a letter opener? It, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> and then they have to go to the street and he's tailing the, the, oh, the crowds are getting the water. Yeah. 
And uh, he tails the chauffeur. Yes, Tab, Chuck Connors. And goes into his apartment with his girlfriend. Yeah. Steals the spoon with the jam on it. Yeah. How did you like that scene? He beat that girl a little bit too much. You're right. Chuck, he's a horrible man, Thorne. Yeah, Charlton Heston was a horrible man. Yeah. He just kind of walks in there, starts looking through the drawers and stuff. Smacking her around. Like he a Chicago cop. Oh, no offense. He didn't Chicago smack her till the second time around. I didn't really like that. They do the research. Saul researches Santini and right. Soylent Corporation. Yeah, which is, Santini is the governor of New York. And uh, in the book, because you read the book fairly recently, did they have this thing with the... Um, the group that Saul was associated with, the exit. no, yeah, no, 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 no. The Elsters were just a group of mob people going and protesting. Right. The, oh, the exchange in the movie that was called the exchange. These and they people. were the older, knowledgeable people. Is that what it who was? Kept reading, but not in the book. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. So Saul really plays. Uh, he doesn't play as big a role in the book as he does in the movie, does he? Yeah, I think he does. Does he? Okay. Yes, I think he does. Okay. Um, some of the writing I I questioned in Harry's book. Uh, at one point, Cheryl's talking. Uh, I was cleaning. I didn't hear the door. Her hair was tied up in a turban, and her feet were bare. A lot of her was bare since she was wearing just a pale green halter and shorts. Strange. What you don't like that? <laughs> yeah, a lot of her was bare since she yeah. she was just wearing a pale green. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Looked wonderful. There's well. there's some other parts I noticed. He's no Anthony Trollope. Who's that? He's the guy that's better than uh, Harry Harrison. And they spell coffee, K-O-F-E-E, but... Yeah, that's, that's a science fiction thing. It is? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You make it a little different. It's science fiction. <clears throat> okay, try this reading. I- I've been busy, that's all. The place was a mess. Now, he starts dating Cheryl. Yes, he does. Yeah. Both the yeah. movie and the book. Yeah. And... I don't know what she sees in him, though. She <laughs> says, well, that's a good point. She, it's, he wrote, she moved swiftly around the table and was on his lap. The whole womanly... Warm length of her and her arms were around his neck. It was a kiss, the kind he remembered, and he discovered that her halter was closed on the front by two buttons, which he opened and pressed his face against the smooth fragrance of her skin. Let's go inside, she said huskily. Oh, huskily. And then she says, "There's afterward, there's a hoarseness in her voice, even though she whispered, you're really good in bed, different. Do you know that? You make me feel things that I've never felt before. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, I, I felt I think he had a problem getting into the woman, what women would really say, instead of what women fantasy say to you. Well, that's probably very true. But what was the motivation? I was trying to figure out what was Cheryl's motivation throughout. In the book, wasn't her motivation she really just wanted to be taken care of? And I think so. By a man. Yeah, and it didn't. It, it wasn't that she was in love with Thorn. And in the book, they have their emotional problems. Yeah. Too, but 
And in the movie, too, I don't see how, you know, because she and Charlton Heston end up in bed about halfway through the movie. And I didn't get that in bed, like, uh, not just because he ordered it because he was a policeman, but it's like she wanted to be there. And I didn't figure out, I couldn't see why, unless she'd seen some of him as movies. Yeah. And then in the book, <laughs> Billy, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Billy's on the run. And he goes and he hides out with this religious guy who's always talking about the end of the world and doing all that. That oh, character, yeah. you know, the yeah. the nutty religious uh, prophety yeah. kind I of guy. I love that guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, it gets to this part where uh, Edward G. Robinson does talk about the causes. And he talks about it like this. For that, there is a simple answer. There is no place to go. This whole country is one big farm and one big appetite. There's just as many people down south as there is up north. And since there's no public transportation, anyone who tried to walk to the land of sunshine would starve to death long before he got there. People stay put because the country is organized to take care of them where they are. They don't eat well, but at least they eat. And it needs a big catastrophe like the water failures in the California valleys to move people out. Or the Dust Bowl which I hear has now become international and crossed the Canadian border. Well, other countries then, everyone came to America from Europe and places, and why don't some of them go back? Because if you think you got problems, you should see the other guy. All of England is just one big city, and as I saw on TV where the last Tory got shot defending the last grouse woods when they came to plow it up. Or you want to go to Russia, maybe. Or China. They've been having a border war for 15 years now, which is one way of keeping the population down. But you're draft age, and they draft girls there, so you wouldn't like that. Denmark, maybe. Life is great there. If you can get in, at least they eat regular. But they got concrete wall right across Jutland, and beach guards who shoot on sight because so many starving people keep trying to break into the promised land. No... Maybe we got no paradise here, but it's at least livable. Well, that gives us a little overview of what's going on in the world. Um, yeah, that it's a worldwide problem. Yeah, which is uh, one of the few times where the, the author takes the time to do that. But it does give us a, a look at what's going on around the world, and then we go back to this pretty small story about these three or four or five people and this uh, investigation. So eventually... If you remember in the movie, uh, Charlton Heston and Cheryl, she invites him to stay for some reason. He's he's getting ready to go out and she says, why don't you stay? And I thought, what? Why, why is she attracted to him? What does she see in him? She's waiting for the next tenant to come and move in. Yeah, but and in the book, she moves out and moves in with him. Yeah, she moves in. Saul. She really develops a relationship with him. In the movie, I don't really see that happening, but she she encourages him to stay, entices him with the idea of a hot shower, and suddenly they're in the shower together having a nice time. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to get the girl. I guess so. Uh, it was in the contract. Yeah, and then the priest, right? Is that where you're at now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes to the priest. Yeah, Charlie beats the girl's. 
Oh, the oh the the doorman comes in and beats up all these the furniture girls at a yeah. furniture party. Right. And uh Chuck says, Get out of here before how does he say Chuck, he says. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. And then he goes to the priest. Who went to the priest? Uh Simonson had gone to the priest. So Charlton Heston knew that Simonson had gone to the priest and he thought, I'm gonna go to the priest and see if I can get the priest to tell me what Simonson confessed. So he went to the priest, and it was this exhausted priest in this parish. That's right. He's I, that guy did a great acting job. He did. He, he did. was shell shocked from the knowledge. Yeah. Right. Right. He was exhausted from too many people. Yes. To help, and he was shell shocked from the knowledge of the of secret what, we're revealing what? at the end of That's this. That's right. It's a secret. So, spoiler alert. Yes. It's coming. And then in the movie, there's a there's a quick break to the a scene with in the tree sanctuary. Oh Remember yeah, that's kind of in a. Kind and of that gets a, into the politics of the Soylent Corporation yeah, doing a cover up, right? And right. we see that the governor is wanting to not know anything; he just wants the the uh, the thing to be ended. And th- that scene of the tree sanctuary made me think of another movie that was popular during this time, which was Silent Running. You know that movie? Which I saw. Yeah. Did that have the little robots? Yes. That were so cute. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah. I need to see uh, it again. Starring Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. And a great soundtrack. A great soundtrack in that movie by actually composed by Peter Shickley, who's known otherwise as PDQ Bach. Do you know PDQ Bach? I do. Comedy classical? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he actually wrote the soundtrack to that. But anyway... Well, someone comes in and assassinates the priest. Yes. So we can't talk. That's a cool yeah. scene. Yeah, Chuck Connors. Yeah, okay, that's right. That's a great scene. Does him in. Um, because he knows he knows something. Right. And then there's the mob scenes. They run out of yeah. Soylent Green. Yeah. You get the mob scene with this big scoops come in. The yeah. Chuck's a cop, and that's in the book a lot. They have to go out. And before they go out in the book, the lieutenant talks to them, and, and it sounds like this. All right. The trouble has been coming for days now, but we couldn't act until we knew where we stood. We know now. The city has gone right along issuing full food rations until the warehouses are almost empty. We're going to close them now, build up a backlog, and open again in three days. With a smaller ration, and that is classified and not to be repeated to anyone, rations are going to stay small the rest of the winter. Don't forget that. Whatever you may hear to the contrary. The immediate cause of the shortage right now is that accident on the main line north of Albany, but that's just one of the troubles. The grain is going to start coming in again, but it won't be enough. We had a professor from Columbia down at Center Street to tell us about it so we could pass it on, but it gets technical and we haven't got that much time. But here's what it boils down to. There was a fertilizer shortage last spring, which means the crop wasn't as good as expected. Uh, There have been storms and flooding, the Dust Bowl is still growing, and there was that trouble with the poisoned soybeans from the insecticide. You all know just as much about it as I do. It was on TV. What it adds up to is that a lot of small things have piled up to make one big trouble. There have even been some mistakes made by the President's Emergency Food Planning Board, and you're going to see some new faces there. 
so everyone in this town is going to have to tighten his belt a bit. There is going to be enough for all of us as long as we can keep law and order. I don't have to tell you what would happen if we had some real good riots, some fires, big trouble. We can't count on any outside help because the army has got plenty of other things to worry about. It's going to be you men on foot out there that'll do the job. There isn't one operational hovercraft left. They've all either got parts missing or broken impeller blades, and there aren't any replacements. It's up to you. There are 35 million people here counting on us. If you don't want them to starve to death, do your jobs. Now, any questions? So we get a sense of the fact that all this, even though it's dirty and ugly, it's it's also getting out of hand. Yeah, lots of problems the, happening. Yeah, it takes a little uh, strong arm of the law to keep things uh, in the street civil. riot. And what do you think yeah. of the film version of the street riot? I don't, well, I don't know, think there were any scoops in the book. There were no scoops in the book, and people make fun of the scoops. They think <laughs> they're really funny, but I actually thought they were pretty cool. When we were young, yeah. you thought they were cool. Did you yeah. still? I did. I still did. I, I thought it was stupid, and yet pretty cool. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, the assassin is trying to kill Chuck then in the mob. Yes. Right? right. And, right. and it, it is pretty well done scene. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought the thunking sound of the scoops, though, was kind of like... Yeah. Like a chick, chick, instead of a wham. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any yeah. sense. And when he catches the assassin, the punch sound is off when he catches the assassin. And the... Th- which, if you watch it again, which I rewound it a couple times because it was kind of obvious, and the throw of the assassin is odd when he gets underneath the yes, scoop. Yes, right. Yep. That uh, was that was a little weird. Kind of weird. It's like they filmed it once and thought, ah, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah, or to yeah. sped it up even or something, yeah. right? Yep. And he shoots and he hits Thorne's ankle. Yes. And the it's fun to watch these old movies. Kind of fun because they use. Um, I, I got to right. think they use Foley sound, sound effects out of a library. Could be. And I think in today's movies, they do everything it, fresh. They do everything. They do everything. It's, and it's all quality. So here. when you hear some of this, like the punches, yeah. that very, very, very common sound. Psh. Yeah. <laughs> and the gunshots, too, like you say. And, uh, yeah, and the scoop stuff. And, of course, the scoop slams down slams down on Gilbert and squishes him so obviously uh, Charlton Heston Thorne cannot question him at this point because he's uh, smashed under the scoop yeah and the blood is always that bright red yeah bright blood red they little had in orange those days. yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> not that kind of wine colored red yeah kale syrup that's they don't want realistic. it too realistic yeah and then so Charlton Heston goes back to Tab's apartment he does and beats him up. He does. Why did he do that? Oh, because he was being followed. And he says, if you follow me again, I'll hunt you down. <laughs> he did. Big fan. I'm a big fan of Charlton Heston. And, and I just have to bring this in because I watched him in a movie recently called The Buccaneer. And he played Andrew Jackson. And he was out on a... Uh-huh. Out in the in the a swamp, and there was a young boy who was standing guard duty for the soldiers. Charlton Heston plays Andrew Jackson. He goes up to the boy and he says, "How you doing? How do you, how do you like the army?" He says, "Oh, I, I like it fine, but I'm kind of hungry." And Charlton Heston says, 
You're not really hungry till you can wipe your eyes with the slack of your belly. Oh, I just thought, oh, he's got the greatest voice. And I don't know if you noticed later when Cheryl's helping him with his sh- shot in the ankle, it's in a totally different, the bandage and the wound are in a totally different place. Oh, no, I, I guess like, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, details, details. Yeah. Who cares about that? Yeah, and the movie never really showed them falling in love. I think we addressed that already. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. So then, after the what, that big scene, it goes to the wonderful scene, my favorite. Saul leaves a note, I'm going home. Is that right? Well, even before that, uh, so Charlton Heston goes back. He's gathered some evidence now. He goes back to Saul and he says, we need some, I need to find out. You need to go to the exchange, Saul, and find out what's going on. So Saul goes to the exchange where all these old people who still read books are, like you said. And the woman there, her name is Celia Lovsky. That's her, the actress. And she played Tapao in in Amok Time on Star Trek, the original series. Oh, and I think you're right. Yeah. Great actress. Great voice. And she tells him the truth. She tells Saul the truth. So Saul cannot believe it. And I thought this transition was a little odd because Saul says he's going. He's going to have to go home to find God. And so he goes to a... This, so now this opens the scene that you're talking about. He goes to the center, this center. Which is not in the book at all. No, not at all. In the book, he goes out to march with the Elsters oh, and right. has a heart attack or something and dies. Yeah, He's right. He's brought home. Yeah. But the movie was wonderful, The Suicide Parlor. Yeah, much better. And I just always cry. Yes, and I always cried as he's dying to this great Beethoven music yeah. and other music and visions of all the wonderful nature. And uh, Thorne comes in and forces his way in. To, and as he comes to speak to Saul, get him to stop if he can stop him. And he sees the scenes of nature up all around yeah. the panoramic movie. And he, again, great acting. He just freezes. Yeah, he's speechless. He's speechless. Yeah. How could I have known is the line, yeah, too. Yeah, right. Do you see it? Saul yeah. says, yes. Isn't it wonderful? Yes. Yeah. How could I have known? Yeah. How could I possibly have known what the world used to look like and yeah. being beautiful and wonderful? And I'll just get personal. Since my dad's death, I'll watch that scene. And when he says, I've lived too long, I'm going to cry. Yeah. And he says, no, you know. I love you, Saul. Yeah. I, I, love, I love you, you Thorne. Thorn. And I say now, I love you, Dad. Yeah. I do. Personal yeah. confession time. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful I scene. Just, I mean, it's just... And, you you know, you think about a movie like this. People say, ah, Soylent Green, blah, 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 blah. Oh. You've got to watch it because there are three or four just priceless Hollywood moments. Not just Hollywood, but priceless moments. Captured on film. Like life moments. Beautiful life moments captured on film that you don't see very often. And you see these actors do stuff that you don't normally see them do. And yeah, yeah, it's just great. Just great. Yeah, and I wrote a paper in high school and I wrote about, it was like science fiction in the movies or something. Mm. And, And I got to this film and I said, in a scene that would bring 
tears to Darth Vader's eyes. Yeah. And I remember, yes. I'll never forget the teacher <laughs> really? wrote, fantastic, this really? is a great illusion or great uh, analogy or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I was so proud. Um, tears to Darth Vader's eyes. Yeah. And this really is, to me, this is what science fiction is about. To me, really, Star Wars is not science fiction. This is really science fiction. This is a plausible near future or a scientific a situation that is based upon science. And we have these meaningful characters in here reacting to it in a very human way. And we have, you know, we live in a science fiction world. Things are changing Today? all the time. Yeah, yeah, and true. we think, how are people going to react in the future? We talk about as AI and robotics comes into more into play and puts people out of work. What's going to happen? Is there going to be universal basic income? What's going to happen when people don't have to work anymore? They can just. We live in a science fiction world, and so to explore these things, these authors explore these things is really um, meaningful. Yeah. And, and that scene is beautiful. And and the, the the reason the Star Wars is not science fiction, I think I heard somewhere else someone saying this, or maybe it was you, that it, the themes are more fantasy. Yeah, really, they are. Clear-cut good and evil or something. Yeah. And not as much like a science. What's what's the difference? Yeah, to me, science fiction is like, here's something that's, that our world has developed through technology and science. Here's a plausible thing that could happen in the future. And how will we as humans react to it when that happens? Yeah. And, the, and there's not as clear-cut good and evil. Right. Usually. No, it's more just like whoever the characters are. Yeah. How are these characters going to deal with this? It's character-driven stories that are that are based around these situations. And, uh, yeah, for Charlton Heston to see this, for Saul to have it in him, to know when it's time to go... I got to tell you, Dave, as somebody who has, who is no longer a, a spring chicken, <laughs> I think about this scene quite often, and I think the death scene—that's the way I would like to go. Wouldn't I would you? like to pick my time, yeah, and go. And kind of with my dad, you know, it was coronary or congestive heart failure, which you get to know you're going, and we got to bring him home, yeah. And Which was great. We knew he was. We knew we weren't going to plug him in. We were going to unplug him. Yeah. And we all knew the plan. And in a way, you know, it was kind of a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, to be all... on that, I always thought I would want to watch The Wizard of Oz before oh, I die. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Is it okay? That's beautiful. <laughs> I think so too. And you know, to this was just the way they filmed it was beautiful and. This big screen, it was like big screen HD TVs yeah. all around him. and his all favorite color orange. And... Yeah, and his favorite music. Yeah. Which was a, a combination of uh, Rachmaninoff. I'm pretty sure the first piece was Rachmaninoff. Could be right. Second piece was Beethoven's Sixth, and then a bit from uh, Grieg's uh, Peer Gint Suite. Yes, that's right, Peer Gint Suite. And then, uh, and then he goes to sleep. And this was filmed 12 days before Edward G. Robinson passed away. Wow. He actually knew he was dying. Wow. And from what I read, he showed up every day on time. Nobody knew that he was dying. Um, he showed up on time. He hit all his marks. He acted just, he was amazing. And 12 days later, he 
passed away from complications from uh, he bladder, was, uh, he bladder was, cancer. He was, uh, was it okay? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he was also deaf, partly deaf. Oh, is that right? Yes. I think I learned that from the audio directors talking, yeah. Ah. And how he got to do his lines and, and visually looking at lips. and. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh. And the music in that, going into that death parlor, suddenly goes off key, minor key, and then as the doors open, the people come out to get them. And then it's this angelic kind of yes. harpy kind of thing comes in. It's really, it was neat. Like a little yeah. scary. And he goes, and then they take him to the parlor and it's a little angelic. I thought that was cool. It was really cool. <clears throat> uh, I, I do have a problem uh, watching the film because when the person that leads him to the parlor is Dick, Van, <laughs> the actor Dick Van Patten, who has got... You can't shake it. went on to do a lot of other things. You can't, you can't shake, shake it, can you? Yeah. You cannot. And then, and then Chuck grabs him and puts his arm behind him and goes, yeah. open it now. He's, yeah, he's going to choke him to death. And I think, yeah, do that. <laughs> open it now, you <laughs> damn dirty ape. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's such, he follows Saul's body out, right? Jumps into yeah, the Thorne follows by, uh, garbage disposals. They throw him in the, the yeah. gar- garbage trucks. Yes. Drives it into the secret Soylent Green factory and... Turns him into Soylent Green. Which now we can reveal, Soylent Green is made of? Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> Say it that way. Oh. People. Soylent Green is people. And and it was pretty shocking. Uh, at the time, it was very shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I figured that out. But remember, I, told, I, had, I showed this to my kids and a neighbor girl. Uh, and the neighbor girl... Early, pretty early as Chuck was cha- jumping into the garbage disposal and going in, as soon as it got toward the factory, the girl goes, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. And I said, oh, yes. Oh. And then my daughter goes, what, what, what? And I go, you'll see. And my son's like, what, what, what? What do you know? And and she goes, oh, no. And I go, yeah. And then the rest of them didn't get it till oh. he climbs up and sees the green yeah, crackers the green. going by. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the big reveal. And then there's a chase scene. They chase him back to that priest's place. Yes. Through that empty street. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Connors chases him. And a pretty good fight scene there. Yeah. The gunfight. They don't take cover very well, do they? No, they don't. And they have their little <laughs> snub nose 38s, you know, yeah. which are so like, oh, really? Does that <laughs> really shoot bullets? <laughs> um, yeah. And Chuck gets shot. Heston. Kills the other guy, though, too, right? Yeah, he kills... Uh, Chuck Connors, which you know, I, and I notice as Chuck Connors is chasing him with his leisure suit and his his natty <laughs> cap on, I thought he looks like a Mao. He looks like Chairman Mao <laughs> if he'd lost forty pounds and grew six inches. Yeah, and then I don't know if that was on purpose. The end shot. No, I don't think so. There was the end shot with Charlton's hand up as they're carrying him out. Yeah, and he's yelling, "Soylent Green is." People, you've got to tell them. Yeah, tell. Yeah, and the bloodied hand. But then it cut really quickly to the end, like boom, right off. Of yeah, that right hand. from there. I thought that would have dragged out a little more, but anyway. Yeah, and that's the film. You got anything else on the film? We got to add a little about the book. Uh, no, that's it for the film. Um, yeah, some good lines. Uh, he talks about Cheryl's body, and he says like grapefruits and. Edward G. says, you never saw a yeah. grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And then Chuck with the cigarette. If I had the money, I'd smoke two, three of these every day. <laughs> and I'm thinking, geez, I used to smoke a pack a day. Yeah. You know, good thing you don't have the money. Right? And uh, the book, Jeff, what's the big reveal at the end of the book? Uh, there really was, as I recall, there wasn't a big reveal. Soylent it's just, Green is not It's not people. people. Yeah. It's just Soylent <laughs> And I was rushing to get to the end. Were you? Going, How are they going to reveal the soil yeah. and green as people? And I'm like, I must have missed it. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't it interesting how Hollywood can take a book? Yeah. And, and like I said at the beginning of the show, this was very common in those days uh, to take a book and change it a lot so that you really wouldn't know yeah. it was that book. Yeah. Like uh, the whole soil and green as people. I mean, that's the biggest thing about the movie. Yeah. And it's not in the book. At it's all. not in the book at all. Um, so in the book, Billy, this kid goes back to his boat family and, and Thorn, yeah. Thorn or Andy, the cop finds him there and shoots him accidentally. He meant to shoot him in the leg, but Billy tripped and fell and his head got into the way of the bullet. Oh, I hate that when that happens. And he was killed, horrible. which I was thinking, yeah, I don't think it works that way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you fall fast enough to get your head into yeah. the path of the bullet. But he accidentally killed him. Everyone was mad at the cop for killing him. They wouldn't find out why he was killed. And there was no reason why. No, there was no reason. I thought that was a real plot problem. Yeah. There's no mystery to Billy Chung, except he wanted to have a good time with Cheryl. Yeah. And somehow we thought she wanted a good time with him. Yeah. Which is also very weird to me. Yeah. And and what? And that's it. Uh, uh, uh after Saul dies, these people d- take the space he had with this legal thing, and his whole yeah. family moves in yeah. and drives them both nuts. And Cheryl leaves Thorne and goes she, back to with somebody else that's rich. Yeah. And then... And Thorne is kind of on his own. Uh, it's the end, right? Yeah. Which is like, well, what kind of ending? I don't know. Yeah. But he never set it up. Yeah, he did. He set it up as like, why did Billy do this? I, I, is that weird? Is that any way to write a book? Um, Jeff, you set up a murder mystery that's not a murder mystery. Yeah, it's really not a murder mystery. And you just resolve it by saying, oh, must not have been the, the... Oh, yeah, by the way, that gangster hasn't moved into the area. Oh, okay. And... And this whole thing was a misunderstanding. I, I don't know. Yeah. And there's no... And Soylent Green is not people. It's not people. <laughs> but, of course, now, current events... World population, do we have a problem? We do. I think we do. But hasn't food production increased well because of science? Yes, it has. Genetic modification, good for preventing starvation, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, World hunger down. Right. Um, Let's be hopeful. Yeah. And science fiction writers have been writing this kind of stuff, trying to predict the future for a long, long time. And they're, they're always wrong. But partly right. Partly right, yeah. Right? There's a you know, you look at like Arthur Clarke writing 2001 A Space Odyssey. Way not that. We're, we're definitely <laughs> not doing any of that. Yeah. But it's interesting. The zombie apocalypse hasn't happened hasn't yet. Hasn't happened yet. Not, um, not my neighborhood. Yeah. But there is danger with climate change now. There which is. It's starting to make this seem more probable. It does. Right? If, it does. If these areas are no longer farmable, you can get into all kinds of disruption. Yeah. And then you'd be worried about how many people on you got to feed on the earth. Right. So let that be a warning to all of you. 
I hope none of you are going to sleep well tonight after listening to this show. We're making light of it, but it's really very serious. Yep. And thanks for joining us. I think that'll wrap it up. Spine and Sprocket. Dave, always a pleasure. Yep. Fun time. Love the Soylent Green film. Just... Yeah, thanks for loaning me the film. It was great seeing it again. And it's great talking to somebody that really appreciates it the way I do. So I yep. appreciate you. Hopefully listeners will too. So yeah, come again next time. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Spine. And Sprocket. <laughs>